0: It's Monday, November 5th, and this is The Daily Dive. The midterm elections are finally here, and everyone is casting their ballots tomorrow. After two years with practically no political power, Democrats have a strong chance of winning control of the House, and Republicans seem likely to keep control of the Senate. Will the president's messaging win out, or will it be a blue wave changing the dynamic? Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for a midterm preview. What are the issues, how much money is being spent, and races to watch out for. Next, man's best friend never ceases to amaze, and it's all about that nose. We know that dogs can be trained to sniff out bombs and drugs, but they are also being trained to sniff out diseases. Researchers just presented the latest results of a study where dogs were able to correctly pick out the scent of children infected with malaria. Megan Molteni, writer at Wired, joins us to talk about medical detection dogs. Finally, Sam's Club is going the way of Amazon Go and opening a store that is ditching cashiers. Dallas will soon be the home of the first Sam's Club store where customers can scan and pay for items with an app. Companies are trying to improve the customer experience and are taking notice of Amazon's approach. Lauren Thomas, retail reporter for CNBC, joins us for details of the new store and if this is the future of shopping. It's news without the noise, let's dive in you to get your family get your friends get your neighbors get your co-workers and go out and vote joining us now is ginger gibson political reporter for reuters we'd love having you on i feel like we're going through this all together we've been following the midterms now for so long and finally tomorrow everybody gets their chance to vote there's this blue wave everybody keeps talking about they say that they're going to take control so what do we know about what's going on
1: You're right. We have finally made it or almost made it on the eve of making it to the election for the listeners at home who are tired of political ads. The end is in sight. (laughs) They're almost done. And we're going to know finally what happens to the House. There has been lots of speculation that Democrats will take control of the House. They need 23 seats to do so. And sort of the political prognosticators, the folks who crunch all the numbers and watch all 435 races, say that it looks like based on the polling that we've seen, the Democrats win out. There's really been a push among the Democrats to capitalize on the anger that's being focused on President Trump and turn it into electoral victories. The map isn't necessarily in their favor. It's been drawn in a way after the 2010 elections that does favor Republicans. But the sentiment is so strong, they think they can override it in these elections and pick up the seats that they need.
0: I've been hearing so much about immigration, obviously, from the president. I don't know how much it is impacting the local races, though. What are the other big issues that everybody's focusing on?
1: I've been out the last three weeks in some of the competitive House districts, and I can tell you that people are paying attention to immigration. The president last week releasing an ad that drew a lot of attention, a lot of criticism, also saying he would end birthright citizenship, something that seemed sort of comical even on its face, since one would have to redo the Constitution to get rid of it, but his base is responding to it. I talked to a woman last week in Minnesota who kept referring to the Anchor Baby program (laughs) as if it was a program that someone was sponsoring. This is something that Trump knows his voters respond to. And it's not an accident that he spent the last full week of the election talking about immigration. Democrats, on the other hand, are talking about health care. Everywhere I've been, I'm hearing from voters and from candidates the health care is their number one priority. And they're trying to talk about the tone. Last week, I was with the Minnesota governor candidate, Tim Walls, who's currently a member of Congress. I asked them about the president's immigration ad, and he told me and that this is about a lack of ideas and a lack of civility. They want to use the president's ad against him and argue that they're the civil, nice, reasonable party and that they will provide a counter to the president, who they say, Is none of those things.
0: But the president really feels that all of his strong words and strong talk is what got him the win. So why stop? He was doing interviews with Axios over the weekend saying, that's the only way I can fight back. And if I didn't do it the way I'm doing it, I wouldn't be here. So that strong talk, the president just think it plays into his favor. The president
1: thinks this is what got him elected in the first place. Build the wall, arrest people at the border, deport everyone. He thinks that resonated with his base and he thinks he can get that to resonate again. Because there's a risk at some point people start to say, all right, you've been talking about this for years now and you didn't get anything done. But he's not reached that point yet, at least among his supporters. And, and it's still he thinks working. And, and one thing you can say about. Donald Trump. He is consistently stuck to the notion that if something's working, keep doing it until right. it stops. And it hasn't <laughs> stopped working for him yet.
0: The amount of money that's been raised for a midterm election is insane. On the House side, there's like a billion dollars have been raised between both parties.
1: Over a billion dollars. we were at one point two billion dollars at the end of September. They've likely gone far beyond that at this point. I can also tell you, having been out in some of these competitive districts, the advertisements are just one after a another after another. And I'm sure folks who are at home are shaking their heads in agreement if they live in one of these districts. The ads don't stop. And that's that's the money showing up in everyone's TV sets. I have to tell you, too, we published a story last week about a Minnesota race, a very competitive Minnesota race. The candidate told me that he walked into a high school cafeteria and all of a sudden the kids started whispering that he was the guy on the YouTube videos. Uh, His opponents had bought millions of dollars in YouTube videos such that he had become a kind of celebrity at the high school.
0: That's so crazy. Um, So just to end this off, what are some of the top races that we're looking out for, uh, either on the Senate or in the House?
1: Well, that Minnesota race, Minnesota 8 is one of the only house districts in the country that Republicans could take from Democrats. It's a, it's a steel district, it's mining district, it's a farm district, and they think they can win there. So I would watch that one. House districts in Ohio, in Florida, in upstate New York, in southern Illinois, also in the suburbs. You look at Barbara Comstock's district in Northern Virginia. If you're looking for a district that's gonna close relatively early, look at those Virginia districts. To get a sense of the mood of the electorate, Comstock's district and Dave Brat's district on the Senate side—that's where most people's attention is going to get turned. There's some big Senate races early in the night. We should be looking at Florida to see if Democrat Bill Nelson could hold on. We should be looking at Mansion in West Virginia to see how he does. That one less. a a mood of the electorate. And finally, I think one of the ones that everyone's going to be watching with lots of anticipation is Texas. Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz. O'Rourke has come (laughs) seemingly out of nowhere. It's still going to be very tough for him even a day before the election. I I wouldn't say it's even a sure bet for anyone. But if O'Rourke pulls this win out tomorrow, he will be the celebrity of the Senate, no doubt. And the face of a blue wave if it really does show up.
0: Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: It's an incredible feat of evolution, right? Dogs have evolved over from their original wolf counterparts thousands and and millions of years ago to now we have all these different breeds and some
0: breeds are better at sniffing than others. Joining us now is Megan Molteni. Writer at Wired. We're going to be talking about Man's Best Friend. I love stories about dogs. So many things that they can do. And scientists are getting them. We've all known that dogs can sniff out bombs or drugs and things like that. But science is taking it a step further. And they're actually training dogs to sniff out diseases. Their noses can smell even the smallest things in like an Olympic-sized pool. They're using dogs more and more. And one of the cases uh, that you wrote about is they're getting dogs to smell out malaria. What do we know about this?
2: Sure. So it's early days for malaria. Just this past week, researchers reported the first proof of concept showing that dogs would be able to sniff out a piece of clothing that belonged to a person who had a malaria diagnosis. But the hope is that if these dogs prove adept at smelling malaria in larger cohorts or out in the wild sniffing people instead of pieces of clothing, that they could be used as a biodetection device more broadly. So, you know, used at border crossings or in airports, the same way you'd see a dog sniffing for leftover sausages or uh, <laughs> drugs or explosives. You could have dogs that would be able to point out people who didn't have symptoms of malaria, but were actually carrying the parasite that causes the disease. That's,
0: that's the hope anyway. So a couple of years ago, a team of scientists in Gambia visited some primary schools and they had a bunch of these nylon socks. They had the kids wear them overnight They took those, they collected those, and then they started seeing if dogs could be trained to smell malaria in there. Within that, I mean, they were able to find, I think it was about 70% of the time... The dogs correctly pick the scent of malaria in those socks. So, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And as you said, is this a proof of concept? This is very early, but dogs possess an extremely high sense of smell, more sensitive than anything that we've ever made man made uh, instruments to detect odors and things. I love it in the article. You put a sing- they can detect concentrations of one part per trillion, a single drop of liquid in 20 Olympic sized swimming pools.
2: It's an incredible feat of evolution, right? Dogs have evolved over from their original wolf counterparts, thousands and, and millions of years ago to now we have all these different breeds and some breeds are better at sniffing than others. But surprisingly, this medical detection dog organization, it's a 10-year-old charity in the UK, they employ dogs. The dogs don't live at the facilities. They live out in families' homes in the area and then they come in to work. They're working dogs. Right. But they train all kinds. They train Labradors and Golden Retrievers, kind of dog classically see in working dog type outfits and then spaniels and hunting dogs and, and, you know, kind of any dog that has had a long history of using its nose in some way, whether for for hunting or for, for other purposes.
0: This work was funded by a $100,000 grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They've made malaria a priority in recent years. The person that they got to head this, uh, James Logan, you were writing that a few years back he was thinking if there was something that made mosquitoes more attractive to people, if they had malaria. And that's kind of what clicked in his head that made him think... Maybe I can get dogs to sniff this out. How did that work?
2: This research was a collaboration between a number of organizations. So Logan was at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. They have an outfit in Gambia. It's actually a department of the school. And then they also had a collaboration with Durham University, which is also in the UK. But Logan's role in this is that, as you said, he was an entomologist by training. And so early on in his career, like he was after that question that I think so many people want to know when they go on camping trips. is like, why are you getting bitten by a mosquito? Why am I getting bitten? And you're not. like That was kind of where where he started. And then as that kind of research evolved, he got this idea that throughout the parasite kingdom, there is this pretty well-conserved feature that if a parasite needs to move from host to host, either to complete its life cycle or to transmit itself, it's helpful if whatever animal that does that transmitting, called a vector, if that animal can find that parasite more easily. And then this is a pretty well-known thing that happens out in biology. And so he wondered if maybe the parasite that's called a plasmodium that causes malaria and is transmitted between humans via mosquitoes had some way of putting out a homing beacon from the mosquitoes to find them. And so they did a series of experiments and found out that yes, there's actually the chemical signature scent that humans who have a malaria infection put out from their bodies and that mosquitoes can smell. Then they, they wound up testing that in wind tunnels filled with mosquitoes to see which cocktail of scents they liked better and they always chose the one that had this malaria signature So that was kind of how we got here. And then they collaborated with the researchers in Gambia to actually collect socks from these hundreds of school children. At the time, they just chose kids who looked healthy. Everyone, you know, appeared well. And then the socks for a day, when they came in to turn them in, they did little finger prick blood tests on everyone. And out of those hundreds, about 30 of them actually had a malaria diagnosis that they weren't aware of. And so those were the socks that they then used to train the dogs.
0: There was three of the 38 dogs or so that they have working at this organization that are trained to sniff out malaria, but they have other dogs learning how to sniff out prostate cancer, diabetes, Parkinson's, bacteria that causes urinary tract infections. So they're being trained to sniff out very specific things, and it's done just as they would be trained to sniff out other stuff. It's a sniff and seek, basically. Megan Molteni, writer for Wired, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much.
3: There'll be a heavy emphasis on food, which again, very similar to Amazon Go. People that have shopped at Amazon Go locations, there's a huge emphasis there on food and on
0: groceries. Joining us now is Lauren Thomas. Retail reporter for CNBC. There was some interesting news. Sam's Club is going the way of Amazon Go, and they're going to be ditching cashiers at a new store that they're opening up in Texas. This is coming at a time right now where a lot of retailers are looking how to add more convenience to the customer experience. And it was kind of a novel thing when Amazon Go was announced, basically a store, You just walk in, grab your item and leave. You didn't have to necessarily pay for it with a cashier or anything. And other companies have taken notes. So Sam Club is the next one to be doing something like this. What do we know about that?
3: So you're correct. Very soon, the company will be opening the first location of its kind in Dallas, where it will be testing a new mobile app that essentially takes over the job that a, that a cashier normally would have done. So shoppers will be able to use this app and, and they can go through the store and scan things as they're walking through and as they're adding things to their cart and essentially pay for that order right from their mobile device when they're complete and and walk out and that's it. So it is, like you said, very similar, I think, in the grand scheme of things to what Amazon has been doing with Amazon Go. We're still in the early stages when it comes to Sam's Club. This is one store in Dallas and the company hasn't given a date when they will actually open it up to the public quite yet. I think at first they're going to trial it with a smaller base of users. So time will tell if and when this will ever roll out and become something bigger, but certainly interesting to see that they are, in many respects, following in Amazon's footsteps.
0: This is an evolution that we have been seeing. So many stores now have the self-checkout line where you can take your card up there, scan your own items. But I've always felt that that process gets a little clunky. It's tough because you can't always trust the customer to navigate themselves out of it sometimes. Or if you're trying to buy alcohol, you still need somebody to come and help you out. So we've seen this evolution and this does seem like it could be the next frontier, just eliminating cashiers. And not that they, you know, people would lose jobs. They'd just kind of be restructured around the store. So the Sam's club store is going to be a smaller footprint than a a normal Sam's club. And they're going to focus on food, produce, meat, alcohol, Kind of like a local neighborhood market almost.
3: It sounds as if it is going to be, you know, there'll be a heavy emphasis on food, which, again, very similar to Amazon Go. People that have shopped at Amazon Go locations, which are now obviously in Seattle, but they've opened some in Chicago since then as well, headed to California and New York with those stores, too. There is there's a huge emphasis there on food and on groceries. So I think that's what Walmart, which owns Sam's Club, is trying to do with this store in Dallas.
0: And you said that they're debuting a new Sam's Club now app. How is the shopping experience going to work?
3: If you're currently a Sam's Club shopper, you might be familiar with something called Scan and Go. So that's actually something that the the company has been testing already and for a while. in it's stores where you could walk through and scan items and kind of keep up with how much your purchase would amount to. This new app that will be rolled out in Dallas is essentially building on top of that. Now, what's really interesting is Walmart actually tried the Scan and Go app in about 120 of its stores. That was a few months back. It was trialing that, but it never really stuck. So the company actually stopped doing that in Walmart stores. It's still been using it in Sam's Club. I think that's just interesting to see how Walmart has been playing around, obviously with similar technology, but I think at such a large scale and with so many locations, it's been hard to get it right. So I think in many ways that they will use this location in Dallas, the Sam's Club, to really try it again and maybe see if they can fix you know, what didn't really work the first time and, and try new things and maybe down the road we'll start seeing that at more Walmart stores.
0: They're saying that in the future, the app can make suggestions for items that you should add to your cart based on past uh, purchase history. It might suggest things like, don't forget to buy paper plates or something. It's something that I always go into the store and (laughs) you get home and you're like, you know what we forgot, paper plates. And one of the interesting things that I saw too is that it would even lay out a route for you. Like, let's say you were kind of putting in items. These are all the things I need to get. This is what's on my list. It might even give you an expedited route throughout the store so you can hit everything the fastest way possible.
3: I think all retailers today are really trying to figure out how can they make that experience in stores just as quick and easy as possible for shoppers. There are some people that still like to go in, in stores and have plenty of time to wander around, but I think there are there's a large majority, I guess, of consumers today that just want to get in and out quickly. So there will actually be cameras in stores too to track shoppers as they walk
0: throughout. As and- we were saying, Amazon kind of starting this whole thing, they're saying that they can open up 3,000 cashier stores by 2021, so it pushes a lot of these other companies to hurry up and get in the game.
3: Crazy to think about just a few weeks back, and there was a report circulating where Amazon supposedly said that they had thought about as many as 3,000 of these cashierless locations. So that really does put the pressure on companies like Walmart and Target and even drugstore chains like CVS and Walgreens to really step up. And I think we're starting to see a lot of these companies experiment with new technology. Even Macy's is actually rolling out a similar mobile checkout in stores where you can just scan your items and pay right there on the spot. So it's certainly an arms race (laughs) among some of these big companies.
0: Yeah, I can't wait till they bring one of these closer to me so that I can go in there and play around. Lauren Thomas, retail reporter for CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me.
0: All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is your Daily Dive.